this week on Invasion, the podcast, we continue with our year of animation by taking a look at Don Blue's first solo film with 1982 Secret of Nim. Is there still magic to be found at the bottom of that rosebush? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and Steve has decided that he enjoys his being in his own house recording, so he's far away from me again. Uh, I never put my pants back on, so now... <laughs> it's just been two <laughs> weeks, my life now. two weeks of running around without pants. It's the helicopter patrol. That's what's been going on. <laughs> uh, I just, again, it's funny how, like, we took a week off and the weather last week was perfectly fine, and then Wednesday's like, yeah. hey, by the way, it's just going to rain and sleet, and it's going to be nasty out. Like, how do you guys like that? So, perfect. And to those of you who listened to last, last uh, show... Uh, I apologize for any, uh, audio issues just simply because I'm first time, uh, doing this on Skype. So, uh, hopefully this episode's a little bit better sound quality wise, but, uh, I do apologize because <laughs> I, I, I was apparently like banging on my desk quite a bit. So I apologize for that. I, I thought it was fine, but, <laughs> but I will also give people a warning. I'm having on my end tonight, uh, there's this, we're having this weird hiccup that's running through the system every so often and my audio just wants to stop. It will, it's either been all or nothing. So if something does happen just like that, you guys are like, that's a weird dip in audio. It's because I was literally having it happen just right there. That's two minutes into the show. Not a good sign, but we'll try to truck through here. Uh, cause we got to talk about some, uh, secret of NEM. Um, you know, uh, it, it, hell or high water. We're going to get this, we're going to get this, uh, cement block moved to the other side of the fence as best we can. Um, so but before we talk about the the actual film, I want to just give you guys an update because uh, I know since I always like you know, put my my life out there for everybody and you guys had, were aware of the weird thing that happened like uh, back in January with someone trying to break into our house and all that fallout. Uh, we were in court for that this past week. And the only reason I mentioned this is, is because I had to be sworn in. And as I was talking, the judge literally stopped me and said, the sonographer can only type so fast if you could please slow it down. So I now have a legal document, like a court record somewhere with the judge telling me to stop talking so fast. I thought that was funny. That is funny. Yeah. Meanwhile, with me, they'd just be like, get to the damn point. Yeah. <laughs> be like, Long story short, it's like, sir, you've, we've went through two sonographers already. No, um, <laughs> no, it, it was just, and the thing is I got, I, you know me, I don't get like, <laughs> what's the word I don't get like um, knocked off my game that much. Sometimes when I'm talking, like I'll talk myself into a corner, but I usually, I usually go head first, like with full confidence talking in front of a judge. I, and it, this, this judge was a she and I, and I immediately was like, sorry, sir. I mean, ma'am, I mean, your honor. Like what, why did I do that? Like I just, yeah, just, you know, whatever. Like it is what it is. I hope to never be in court again, but yeah, I got, there's a document out there saying that I need to slow down my talking. 
It sounds like you were in some sort of like sitcom. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, uh, everything else about the situation was just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be a good sitcom. No, it doesn't. No, no, it could be a CBS sitcom. Uh, oh, I took shots. Not not all CBS sitcoms are bad, just a lot of them. All right. So, um, yeah, so our talk for our year of animation is uh, it is The Secret of Nim. Um, I pitched this to Steve. We've been talking about, like, this is one of the ones to get to. I wanted to, to get to this one because after just talking about Wizards with, with Ralph Bakshi kind of being like his own thing and kind of wanting to operate outside like the mainstream, I immediately started thinking about Don Bluth. And I didn't realize this was actually his first film he did outside of Disney. So I feel like there's there's a through thread here of uh, creators and animators wanting to still get their own thing out in the world but not have to go through the, the systems that kind of like frustrated them or or kept them from working so that's part of the reason why i wanted to 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 go with this film paul my question to you is did you have any personal history with the film had you seen it before i had um when i was a kid i all i remembered about it was the the necklace and like the red light that's all i remember about the film and so i i clearly had seen it but i had not watched it after i this was not like a childhood staple okay I struggled trying to remember. I there are certain films that I am absolutely convinced I saw as a kid, but as I was watching this, I was like, "This is all new to me." So I clearly did not see this as a kid, or if I did, I completely forgot it. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is, is that I felt like I had like a storybook version of it. So I'm like, maybe I didn't see the movie. Maybe I had a storybook. But then as I was watching the film, I I, I realized that I had no memory of the storyline. So for one, for whatever reason, I had always been under the impression that I'd seen it. And that is certainly a possibility that I did see it as a kid. I just have, I had no memory of the story, the characters, anything. Yeah. I mean, this is might as well have been a first time watch for me. And it's just weird because I like, you just, you, you grew up watching this stuff. You're like, I've seen that. And it's like, what, what do you remember about it? Uh, nothing. Like, <laughs> so, um, so it was good. I mean, so I think this is actually a really good one to pick because it's kind of coming with fresh eyes and I, there's plenty here to talk about. Um, but I just, I don't know what your, what your relationship is with like Don Bluth. Like I could tell you while watching this with my wife, she got super excited cause she's like, I love Don Bluth. And then I, the, we paused the movie and I was like doing something else real quick. And I was like, well, why? And she just named all the movies that she liked and that that's good. I just thought there was something else, but it's, this is the stuff that she grew up with. And so she was super excited to get into it. So I don't know what, how you feel about him. And we can talk, we're going to talk a little bit about like his history a little bit. And then a little bit about where this film came from. I think the thing that probably resonates the most, and it's unfortunate because it's a video game, but I always think of Dragon's Lair. Yes. Uh, that's the thing that I most associate with him. Um, American Tale. I know I saw that in the theater. I, it's probably been easily 30 years since I've last seen it, so my recollections of it is pretty hazy. Uh, I believe I also saw Land Before Time, or at least one of them. I think there are like 12 of them or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I think of the most is Dragon's Lair. Yeah, the, the last direct sequel to that film was called uh, The Land of Time. That's what actually happened. They, they just got to where time was happening after going through 11 films of it being before time. That's a bad joke. <laughs> Made me laugh. 
<laughs> like after the fact, you're like, I have to laugh at this. I just, I, you know, I got to give Paul something that's over Skype. He needs to feel like he's not like stuck there. Um, but yeah, I just, this, so there's a reason why a lot of his stuff, like it, it'd be easy for people uh, in passing to tangle it together with Disney. Cause there's, there's good reason for that. And I could see how, especially like Secret of Them, like there's a lot here, just character design and animation that just screams Disney in, in the good way, you know? And so um, so I was doing a little bit of reading about him and it, it, he actually, you know, he started at Disney. Well, he actually didn't start Disney. Um, well, he did, but it, back and forth. He ended up working at Filmation for a, a bit too and then coming back to Disney. But then he got, um, he got kind of frustrated with like what he felt was Disney and animation in general starting to cut corners, like, and they weren't like pushing envelopes anymore. Uh, but at the time though, he actually had, he, what was it? He did, um, the adventures of Winnie the Pooh. He was the, the head animator on that, uh, directing animator for the rescuers, which if you watch this, you could definitely see a lot of that with the birds. Uh, he, he directed, uh, the animation of Pete's dragon. Um, and then he did a little bit of work on Fox and Hound, but he had already kind of stepped away from Disney. And then he did secret of Nim. Um, when I think of, you know, you, you think of even like he even worked like a character animator on Robin Hood and Sword in the Stone. He was an assistant. There's something about that Disney style that I feel like Bluth took forward and he made his. And I have a hard time separating the two when you go back to that kind of like um, that age of Disney. There's a lot there that looks very similar to me. Yeah. When I think of Disney in the 70s, too, I mean, it's. I don't think of their animation. I think of they were in that period of making some really bad live action films. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of them, you know, are considered classics, whether it be the Herbie films. I mean, they're not considered classics by me, but I know that some people really love that era of films. My wife actually is somebody who loves all of the, that live action Disney stuff that was coming out from that period. When it comes to their animation, I can't think of something that I saw that I, that wasn't a re-release that I remember being as strong as stuff that they released 30 years prior. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing the re-release of Robin hood, uh, like in the theater and also the Fox and the hound, um, the rescuers. I don't think I've ever seen. I, I, that seems weird to me that I've not seen that one, but I, there was a video that was put together a few years ago that someone showed how uh, Disney would recycle their animation. Did you see that video? I unfortunately did not. Okay. So it basically, it would take like, cause oh, Disney, a lot of the animators early on, they would actually do basically motion capture in the sense that they'd actually do, they take like, um, you know, film of someone doing a dance or whatever. And then they go through and animate that. So they get more of the lifelike movement. And so there's a dance sequence and, um, in the jungle book that uh, it has Baloo and and I forget who else doing a dance. Uh, the orangutan, I forget his name. Is it King Louie? It's King Louie, I think. Anyway. Um, Mongo. Mon Mongo? The, the, no. no. <laughs> it's King Louie, right? I, maybe. I don't know. But, I believe so, yeah. So then, I, I don't know. I someone played that side-by-side -side of a dance that ends up having um, Little John, which is also Baloo, pretty much, uh, and um, oh, Maid Marian, I think, or even Robin Hood. And the dance sequence is exactly the same. Like, so there was times where they would, because they knew these films were, because they knew that they would, um, these films would only be shown every few years in the theaters and people, you know, at that time, like you wouldn't have a video reference, you wouldn't have a home video version to compare it. So they'd be able to kind of 
like move things around and use like old like the original animation skeletons or everyone use it and then make new animation so i don't know if that's what he was frustrated with but i could i could see how things like that to streamline the process and make things cheaper would be frustrating to a creative sure and when it comes to animation i mean we've seen uh i don't know how many cartoons growing up where they just recycled animation um particularly like walking sequences or, um, you know, a, a character will be walking against the background. This isn't so much Disney, but like you'll see them yeah. pass the same tree six times. Yeah. See that a lot in like Scooby-Doo, those types of things. So I, I can certainly understand considering the fact that Disney was sort of considered the high peak of animation. Um, I think that uh, that was what they were built on. That was what they prided themselves on. Um, and to see that go away, I, I, I can I can immediately imagine that would be or easily imagine that would be very frustrating for somebody who's trying to do something new and creative and original. Yeah. And also you're mentioning that like they're like dipping their toes in live action and, and, you know, having some success, but not really. I mean, Disney isn't like they were on the decline at this point in a lot of ways. So I could see how they were being like, well, what can we do to, to cut corners? And it's like, you know, that's. I get that from a business standpoint, but I could see how someone like Bluth, because he actually, he um, had some ideas of how they want to do something different. So he actually, him and some other people got together and produced a short called uh, Banjo the Woodpile Cat that they like they showed to Disney because it had some different animation like techniques and some new ideas that they, would, they were hoping that they would see see it and like it and buy it so they could finish it because a lot of these guys like put a lot of their own like personal money into it and Disney's like nah we don't want that so then they all just kind of like all right fine and they just all kind of dropped off and went and started you know with, with Don Bluth and his, his house and then eventually like a small building and the, so the first project they really got to work on though was the dark not dark crystal I, the, the secret of them. I so there is this thing I was looking at. Like uh, so, the, the, we should probably. This might be worthy more of a deep dive, but like at this time, like with the '80s, you had the the Dark Crystal Secret of them. You had uh, oh, what else? Black Cauldron. Eventually, around that time, there's like a lot of dark, like family uh, stuff, right? So I want to get these mixed up in my mind. I don't know what they were thinking. We should scare kids. It'll make money. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I I think uh, initially of um, you know that time period of, of being them trying a lot of different things, whether it be something like Tron, uh, whether it be something like uh, something Wicked This Way Comes, which I'd still like to cover on the show sometime because it's a, a film that I I know that both Disney and I think its director sort of feel didn't hit the mark, but it's it's a childhood favorite of mine and one that I think is still crazy effective today. Uh, but you are right. There was a, a direction. Uh, I, and I, again, I don't want to lay everything at the feet of star Wars, but I feel like things just seem to open up. I think in a lot of directions to try different things, yeah. um, at that time. And I think it permeated the eighties. And I think in a lot of ways, we could use some of that again these days because I feel like outside of, you know, maybe Pixar and I know DreamWorks does some stuff. I don't feel like there's a lot of chances being ta taken with, you know, whether it be animation or just films for kids. Did you see monster house? I haven't seen monster house, uh, Paranorman I've seen, and I quite like that 
an awful lot. Yeah, I've not seen Paranorman. I, I need to, but Monster House is actually uh, it. It's probably what ten years old now, probably more than that. Uh, it it's really really good, and I think it's kind of right in this this alley of having having a fun adventure. Um, but then also still be kind of scary and creepy. Um, so you're right. I, I do think there's more to, to, to be said for that. So, um, all right. So before we get into talking about the actual secret in film more, you know, more improper, I guess we should listen to the trailer and hear Dom DeLuise playing a bird, but playing Dom DeLuise. And, um, yeah. And then we'll, we'll listen to the trailer and then we'll get into more like, like we talked about Dom Bluth, but some other cast and stuff too. Aurora and Don Bluth Productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment. I must tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. And heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on! It's an odyssey to another world. A world of fantasy and enchantment. To what you see and hear, you must swear absolute secrecy. It's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Do you like me? Of course I like you. It's a story of friendship. I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. What? I just need a few pointers to polish my style. I told you you'd love flying. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. It's a classic story of courage. Why have you come? And a world of danger. If I had actually been near a cat, I'd be sneezing my brains out. I'm allergic to hay. Excuse me, pardon me. Get out! Run for your life! Where courage is rewarded. Oh, thank you. A motion picture for everyone to share. Oh, the poor turkey fell down. I'm I'm not a turkey. Big no, Discover the secret of Nim and rediscover the child in us all. Yeah, so there you go. A lot of Dom DeLuise saying he's not a turkey. Um, so yeah, I guess we should also maybe mention, uh, that this is based off a book series that I didn't, I didn't do the most research on, but the, those 1971s, uh, Robert C. O'Brien's, um, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. And, uh, the first half of this, this movie, I guess, is a lot closer to what the idea of the books were. And then the second half goes in a way different direction. Um, and I, I think it's more interesting, I did just, but I don't know how much you did research on the, the rats of Nim. So when it comes to the book, um, I didn't actually look into it very much. I did look into differences between the two. Um, and there's obviously a big one that's going to happen halfway through the story when we get there. Um, but when it, when I look at, you know, just the, 
the story as a whole, I think that some of the changes that were made definitely stand out. Um, at least viewing it now, uh, again, having thought I'd seen it <laughs> and realizing that I hadn't, um, one of the things that was added to the film, I was like, well, that seems a little out of place, uh, but we can we can talk about that when we get there. But okay. for actual you know, research outside of, you know, doing my normal looking on the web. I didn't dig too deep into the, to the books. Gotcha. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I do apologize to everybody listening. I did also did not do the biggest deepest of dives. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it's tough. Sometimes it's like, Oh, it's a whole entire book series. Yeah. Probably don't have time for it this week. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was too busy talking too fast in court. Um, so with, with this, so we got uh, directed by uh, Don Bluth. Um, uh, writers, you know, obviously Robert C. Ryan was given credit because the novel, uh, and then Don Bluth was story adaptation, and, and there's a couple other people that was also listed here: John Pomeroy, Gary Goldman, and Will Finn. Um, cast: We have uh, Elizabeth Hartman as Ms. Brisby. Uh, just, I this was like her last like uh, like role. Not that she didn't like she went on to live and do life, but this was like her last big thing. I didn't know know too much about her. The people that stuck out to me the most, though, were well. We have Dom DeLuise. I keep making that joke. I love Dom DeLuise. He's Jeremy the the Crow. Uh, it just will watch it with my wife. She's like, I love Dom DeLuise. I was like, Well, watch going to bananas, and you probably won't be that big of a Dom DeLuise fan for a little while. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if there's anybody else in the cast that that stuck out to you. Well, the good news is, is for uh, fans of Dom DeLuise, the last uh, you know. 10 minutes of the credits is just him uh cracking up yeah and somehow burt reynolds shows up too it's weird you know um <laughs> i'm trying to think i think it was uh I, we recently just rewatched anchorman and they snuck in like during the credits just a scene from cannibal run of deloise and burt reynolds cracking each other up and then they went back to their own like outtakes which i thought was really funny yeah that is funny I know, uh, yeah, but I do love Dom DeLuise. Just and he he was good in this. Just that you could tell that they just kind of let him, uh, they just turned him loose, you know, in the, in the studio because this he he Dom DeLuise it up. Yeah, I mean, th- there are a couple other interesting character. I should say characters, but uh, actors playing uh, characters in the film. Uh, John Carradine, I think, is an actor that I think a lot of people would know if they. Well, I shouldn't say this because I, I feel like he died in the '90s. So he 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 acted for I'm going to say at least forty or fifty years. Yeah. Um, I always think of him as uh, there's a uh, film that was uh, roasted on uh, Mystery Science Theater called Red Zone Cuba, uh, where he's got a very like he's the narrator, I believe. He's a small part, but uh, they they always joke about being blessed with such an instrument of a voice. Cause he, I think at one point he tries to sing a long story short. Uh, <sighs> that's what I always think of him from, but you also have people like Peter Strauss, who I believe was in, uh, one of your favorite films of, uh, last year, uh, that you had discovered, which was, uh, star chaser. No, was it star uh, chaser, not star chaser. It's, uh, um, oh, Molly Renwald. Um, Oh shoot. Um, something for Bidden zone. What was that? Star hunter. Yeah, Star Hunter. Uh, um, was it Star Hunter? I, 
Is that yeah, the, I think okay. it's Starliner. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I didn't really. I forgot that he was in that. Um, I didn't even look that far. With John Carradine, though, like, uh, yeah, like really well established actor, and I was excited to hear his voice. Um, I I know him just from my uh, doing my other Twilight Zone show. He was in a season two episode of the original series uh, called um, Oh, what was it? Shoot, you think I'd have that off the top of my head here? Um, something man. It was. I'll have it here in a second. To serve man? No, not to serve man. It was. Okay. Um, oh, come on, Paul. You should you should have these things in front of you when you're going to talk about them. Uh, it was. Um, <laughs> I'm going to find the title of this episode. Um, the Howling well, Man. That's the that's the episode. Title. Oh, that's a yeah. good episode. It is a good episode. That's- he plays the main um, like the main guy like in the the castle that the, the main character's interacting with. So he's the one that walks around with like the big shepherd's crook and is like just the booming, like big voice, you know? I, I like John Carradine. It was perfect for him to be the owl in this. Um, other people that I noticed, uh, I just want to point out that Will Wheaton was uh, Martin and Shannon Doherty was Teresa. I didn't realize that when watching the movie. That was weird to me. Um, like very, very young with their performances. And uh, a lot of these other, uh, there, there are some other main actors. Uh, what was the, the one gentleman? Uh, Sullivan. Aldo Ray was brought in because he, has, he had a very uh, particular, um, just like the way he delivered lines. Like, and, he, and he wasn't in the film long, but you, he was kind of like the, um, the underling to Jenner. So he was the one that was being brought along for the plan to overthrow the rats. And he wasn't so sure of himself. Like he, he wasn't on screen long, but his voice, you got the character real quickly and I, and I like him and he's, uh, he did a lot of genre work, but I just, uh, the name, the name, uh, stuck out to me and I had to look up what he did and it was a lot of, you know, uh, just a lot of weird genre stuff. Yeah. I, the other name that stuck out to me was, uh, Edie McClure, who is the, uh, clumsy, uh, bird who, uh, comes in at the end of the film, uh, the, um, eye of, uh, Dom DeLuise eye, if you will. Um, the eye of Dom DeLuise eye. That doesn't make any, uh, but long story short, if you know who Edie McClure is, throw a movie, uh, throw a, a, a rock at an 80s movie. Chances are she might be in it. Um, she's amazing in, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off as the secretary, Grace. Um, she's in Back to School. She's in, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, she's in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. She's in a lot of stuff that was around when we were growing up. So uh, anytime I see her pop up in a movie, I'm always uh, ex- excited to see her. Granted, I didn't realize it was her until after I watched the movie. But well, She's in it for uh, like a was, minute, yeah, for sure. She was Miss Wright, the female crow, <laughs> um, Jeremy's girlfriend at the end. Yeah, um, and... Uh, yeah, but a lot of the cast is um, uh, there was a lot of crew members that were working on the animation that they brought in for a lot of different various voices. Um, I guess we should also mention, mention Derek Jacoby as Nicodemus just because his his presence is really great too. He starts the film off right like so, and he was um, looks like he was in Gladiator. So like the guys, you know, like also another known commodity, you know. So, but amazing voice. Uh, and play like I, I like the idea. It's like we're in the studio. Wise, like I need you to play a wizened wizard rat. I got the voice, you know. Like he, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of the cast was just people that were working on the film because that was kind of the budget they were on. Was like come in and act like you know, be a be a rat in the crowd, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing I want to mention too is that um, the score 
uh, was done by uh, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna get the wrong one because I always I always flip these around. And people make fun of me. Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this. Uh, I you know first animated film he did a score for. He ended up loving working on this so much that he actually volunteered three additional weeks without pay just to get it, like in ship shape. So. Um, the music in this is really, really good too. So it would be it'd be remiss to not mention the scoring in this while talking about the film. Yeah, when it comes to Jerry Goldsmith, I would say he's and again, it's understandable because of the time period that you sometimes confuse him with John Williams. <laughs> but I, yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, I, yeah, that's that's what happens. Is I made one dumb mistake once, and I've never lived it down. That I am like, it's like Jerry Goldsmith. You know, he went on to do the Star Wars stuff, and everyone's like, "That's not right." I'm like, "You're right." Why did my brain short circuit? And it did. Uh, but I mean, again, he's one of those guys who touched a lot of movies in the '80s that we all love. And actually, I think one of my favorite things about. Uh, Star Trek the motion picture is some of the stories that he told. Uh, I believe it's on the the DVD of the director's cut of next of uh, the motion picture talking about uh, putting the score together for that film, which that's a whole other ball of wax with that film and how it got made. But um, he, that guy, he, he's written some of the most uh, memorable scores of films that you've seen. Uh, from you know the 70s and 80s into the 90s as well. I believe he worked up until like the mid 2000s. So yeah, uh, uh, and, and this one was a diff- diff- difficult for him because they could only show him like what their the works work in progress. So he was on the phone a lot, I guess, talking to people, being like, "Well, what's the context of this?" Like, and so the difference between this and like a film was that they could show him dailies and kind of get like an idea. But since the animation was much slower, they couldn't get him all the stuff. So he was trying to come up with like. I, I mean, I don't even know how you begin scoring a film when you have pieces, parts. You know, I don't even know. But he treated it like, like he, you know, treated just he went through and did a whole big like, you know, he wanted themes, he wanted everything to run together. I, I just credit to him that he took the time to actually. It would be easy to write like three or four pieces of music that run a certain amount of time and be like, here's your music for this animated film that's supposed to be towards kids. But he didn't do that, and I respect that. You know, he wanted to treat it like give it the way that it needed because I think that's part of the reasons there there's a lot of amazing things that go into this film to make it work the way it does. And it's, I think it's everybody like treating it seriously and giving it the space it needed to be successful. Yeah. I, and I will say, you know, kudos to him for kudos. I gave up kudos tonight. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> kudos to them for volunteering additional time to, make the score what he wanted it to be. I think uh, had this been Disney, you know, maybe they wouldn't have allowed him to do that. Or maybe had this been another company like it. I think when you put that kind of heart and effort into something, it shows. And I think that this is a really great score. I actually would like to get just the complete score because I find and I'm sure everybody does this. You kind of come to the pieces of music from a film. But then when you sit down with the score, you're like, oh, there's another like three minutes to this song that I never heard because it's only used in two minutes of a scene or is background music or, um, you know, it just never popped up. So this is one that I would say that, uh, I would be very interested in listening to the complete score because it's, it's really wonderful throughout the whole film. Yeah. So, all right. Since I, we've, uh, stumbled our way through, uh, the cast and, you know, the, the, the important bits, um, I stumble through everything. I just, you know, I, yeah, me too. I mean, it's just, uh, where, 
where do you think we, I, 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 we could talk about the movie like you know point for point i don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go about it but like i guess we should say if people have not watched the secret of nim or they or, or, or much like steve and myself that if you have not seen it since a kid and you don't remember anything about it um stop right now and go go watch it because it is it will surprise you in a lot of the best ways it's available for free right now on tubi t-u-b-i and if not it's like three bucks to rent and it's like the blu-ray is like eight dollars so there's nothing really keeping you from watching this film i may go try and uh, track down that blu-ray because i don't know how fine of a source the tubi version was the one that i watched um, and we'll get into this as we go. Uh, but my review of it is it's one of the most beautiful animated films I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still felt like there may have been some grain and some, uh, and grain's not always bad, but I, I, I'm guessing that there's probably a cleaner version than the one that I watched on Tubi. Uh, and I'd like to experience it, see it in all of its glory. Cause it's, it's still beautiful to watch as it is, but I, I have a feeling there's probably a higher definition version of it. I hope so. Cause I went to go find a, a Blu-ray copy last night and it's like, it feels like <laughs> the cover art is so much more upbeat and happy than like the poster art for the film, which the poster, like original poster for this film is amazing. Uh, but like, it, it looks almost like, like this little kid's film of like, which it is a kid's film, but it's just, Oh, it's a mom and this necklace. And there's a happy crow in the background. It just looks like every day on the farm, you know? And it's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not this film. And I feel like they did do when they did do a Blu-ray release, they cleaned it up, but I don't know if it's been given, like, I'd like to see like, you know, like a, a nicer you know presentation of it um i just don't know if it's in their best interest to to put out like that big you know bells and whistles version of it but i do want to own this film but again if you guys have not watched this recently like seek it out because we're going to spoil things that i didn't even realize were spoilers because i'd forgot about most of it but this is it's a great little film yeah it was a surprising watch for me um I will say, and this is only in light of Wizards, and again, this is just because IMDb sucks, but one of the uh, you know uh, bits to know or trivia was that it's one of the darker films of the latter half of you know the century or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, after Wizards, it's dark, but there's no Nazis in it, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's yeah. There's there's no uh, I so we're, we're watching it though. We could talk more about about like how the animation because part of uh, part of the thing about this film, the more I think about, it, the more I appreciate it. Is that I think we're at a point now where where we're so like we're so blessed to have like like how good animation can be that we forget that since a lot of this was done by hand. And, and very painstakingly that when we see these wonderful colors and palettes and all this action, that it's like that took process and work. And not that I'm saying current animation does not, but you have a lot more tools to, to bring your vision to life as opposed to back then where it's like, you know, it's just, there, there was something about this that it popped, but maybe I didn't, I, maybe I wasn't appreciating as much as I should have because I, I keep forgetting about like, this was like, you know, early eighties, like how, like and it and the look of it still holds up really well, and I think the effects that they use in it with like the eye shine of the animals, um, there is a brief bit of the farmer on the tractor that looks like it was rotoscoped, 
Like, and I just, because I noticed that because of watching wizards to kind of give the farmer like a faceless, like scary feel to it. It's like, there was all this going on that I'm like, I don't know if I could appreciate really everything that's going on here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy the amount of detail that is in this film. With that in mind, I think maybe this is a good point to just talk about the animation. Yeah. But I have a feeling that that's something that I'm going to keep coming back to because that's the thing that really won me over as I was watching the film. So, uh, there yeah. are sequences that take place underwater. There are sequences that play, take place in the middle of like a normal house. The locations change. There's, uh, and I don't know quite what the term is for the effects, but there's uh, like a gold sort of hue to um the magical aspects of it it's all beautifully rendered the backgrounds are gorgeous and i imagine there were guys you know working in background departments painting things but then you've got guys who are you know animating bubbles because they go into the water and it's you know just probably i don't know hundreds and hundreds of bubbles that they're animating by hand you know they don't have a tool to, to replicate that very easily. They're probably still, even if they're tracing it, they're still drawing it by hand to get it done and then painting it. And, uh, there's so much gorgeous animation going on in the film and design. And I, that was the thing that really stuck with me. I, I can't believe how detailed the backgrounds are, how much attention to detail is given to the characters. Uh, I think it's, uh, is it oh the doctor character is it Aegis? Is that his name? Yeah, I think it's Aegis. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. I Aegis, read something yeah. along the lines that said that he there was like twenty six different colors that made him up, which is unheard of for a character in an animated film in a lot of ways, because you know, you have maybe five or six colors that identify that specific cult character, but the level of detail, the amount of attention given to the animation is just breathtaking. And I, I I kept saying to my wife as we were watching it, because Kathy watched it with me as well, I'm like, look at how good that is. Like, that's crazy. This is 1982. And I understand that, you know, when Snow White and, say, Cinderella came out, this is probably the same thing that they were doing, and that's why those films are are gorgeous to look at as well. But I'm like, this is just... There's heart and soul, and I can feel it in both the look and design and the animation of the film. Yeah, uh, and like you're right. Like they talked about how like uh, I saw information that uh, Mrs. Brisby had like 30 different like um, like types of palettes depending upon background that she was in, and it's like, and it's crazy because it's like her character isn't composed of much in color, but they were always consciously aware of of place. And like you could easily you could easily see like another film just kind of rubber stamping it and moving on regardless of background. So that's the stuff that you you don't think about. Like one of the processes that they used in the animation was to give shadows like a like a, a transparency as opposed to just being a thick outline. Like you don't think about that while watching it, but that was a process. They they did things where they actually backlit glass panes that were painted to get some of those like glowy effects while they put the cells on top. Like just really neat things that they knew would show through that do give this whole movie like it the whole the, i guess we should just give just for, if people aren't going to watch this then shame on you you should watch it the, the the story comes down to mrs brisby being a um a mouse on a farm that has three kids four kids four kids um 
And one of them is sick, and she is worried about him not getting better because it's going to be moving day soon, meaning that the the frost is going to be over and that the farmer is going to start tilling the land, and their home is in the direct path of this. So she's anxious to try to get her family moved. Um, and and at first, this whole thing plays like it's a like a Disney film, where you have the small conflict of the farm of the the animals on the farm talking to each other. But then it, it keeps kind of changing. Like the world gets bigger, but then like the scope gets smaller. It's so weird to me how like they're able to do this 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 kind of magic of showing like perspectives of a farmhouse, but it, it looks like the biggest thing in the world. But then when you get to like the underground portions that feel like its own world, it's proportionate to the animals inside, so you don't think of it as being like small. I don't know. It's it's a weird, wonderful thing. And the story shifts from being like the first third of it feels like a Disney film, even with the song, they have her sing to her sick son, like her little, like Miss Brisby sings a song. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be like a musical. That's the last time you hear a song in the film until the credits. It's it's a really, I think they're setting people up to bait and switch them out and be like, you want a Disney movie? Cool. We're about to give you science rats and wizard rats and everything, you know, like it got, it got weird in the best way. I will say that I was leery when the song started. I was like, oh, no. Um, I'm not always a huge fan of the musical aspect of Disney films. So when I started, I was like, oh, they're taking that from what they learned at Disney. And so, of course, it's got to include it. I was very relieved when it it didn't. uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? It didn't reoccur throughout the entire film. So I was relieved by that. Uh, When it comes to the... And again, I I don't have a firm basis in, you know, animation, so I can't say for sure. But the the amount of thought that's put into the details, like, for instance, Jeremy, when we first meet him, he's tied up with some string. And throughout the entire film, he is involved with different amounts of string and he's tied (laughs) down. And uh, the fact that. I, I, I got to imagine as an animator, somebody who's got to draw that it's going to be, it's, it's tough enough to maintain one element, keep it in model the entire time. But then you're like throwing in, Oh, he's also wrapped up in string this entire time. And he's tripping over himself and he's doing all these, I don't want to say convoluted, but these exaggerated, uh, exaggerated poses and things like that. Part of me thinks, okay, there, there's probably somebody who's like, that's their bag. And they're like, man, I can't wait to animate this. There's also probably an animator who's like, oh my God, get me, uh, you know, the strongest cup of coffee you can and like a box, a carton of cigarettes because I'm going to be here <laughs> till the day I die animating this. So um, the amount of work that they must have put into this thing must have been crazy. And they do talk about um, in the Wikipedia at least that uh, at one point some of the animators had to mortgage their houses to get it done because they couldn't get more money to finish the film, which seems to be a reoccurring theme with these films of this period. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it's probably still going on today. I'm sure there are plenty of of movies that are getting made that people are mortgaging their house with, but. (sighs) So what did you think about like the bit at the the very end when he had uh, Jeremy and his, uh, his, his love bird with the lovebirds where they're flying off with shared string and they keep like <laughs> swooping back and forth and looping around like that. Like that seems like such a simple thing, but that, that speaks directly to you talking about like complexity because not only do you have to portray them in flight, you have to then show the grace of the ribbon floating around and, and twirling and, and, you know, and flitting about like 
that it's just, it's almost like a screw you everybody top this. Like we're just going to have birds fly with like string. It's going to look, it's going to look like, you know, physics capable. Like I just, that, that was just, after all we just saw, that was the part where I'm like, that's crazy looking. Particularly if Disney is not taking the steps to, you know, put out their best foot when it comes to their animation. I'm sure that that was probably the intent. Um, and it is interesting. I meant to mention this earlier, but Disney, for whatever reason, during that period, just didn't seem to understand the talent that it had. And if it backed some of those talents, it would have, you know, had a better future. Like, for instance, I think of Tim Burton. <laughs> Tim Burton was an animator at Disney who got bored and left. Like, he couldn't get his projects um, not funded, but approved, things like that. And he left and, you know, became Tim Burton. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy to think that they had something in their in their employee at one point that they're like, wow, this guy is going to be one of the, like, top directors of the next 20, 25 years. Um, and even if you're saying, okay, that's not all animation, fine. But they they had already had that access to that and they ignored it. <laughs> Which yeah. is crazy to me. They did the same thing with Don Bluth. They, I'm sure there are many others that they did that with, which is, it's it's frustrating to think about. Yeah, I mean, and you can see that, I think they kind of righted their wrongs a little bit, just to, like uh, whenever they, like later on, when Disney made the decision to buy Pixar, because they realized that if they didn't, that like those people were going to leave and like they that they're going to lose out on that like potential creative you know output and pixar's been huge for them so i could see how maybe they're learning their lessons but probably not all the time that's true i i think also the fact that uh you know uh, pixar was independent of disney before it was bought by disney um i think that that probably and again, but but John Lasseter was brought in by Disney to oversee their animation portion because he was having success at Pixar, right? And he, the first thing he said to them was, "We needed we need an actual animated film, and that's where the Princess and the Frog came from." Um, and so I think I think they saw that if they had him come in and oversee their part, that that was the way to keep Pixar around. Like, I, I think that was their way of doing it. Again, this wasn't supposed to be part of this conversation, but I think you're right about like Disney was in, they were trying to figure themselves out. You don't go turning away. Someone's bringing you new ideas. Right. And I guess I kind of danced around once I realized I was going to have to bring up John Lasseter because there was a whole thing that went on with him. I don't think it was quite me too, but I think it was just that he's an asshole. No, no, that, that's true. But I just, I mean, you're right. I mean, regardless, <laughs> regardless of the person that he is, they brought him in for a reason and he, you know, like professionally no, I, speaking. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I realized once we got there, I was like, oh God, do I want to go down this road? No, no. <laughs> and, and you're right. You're right. But uh, yeah, that's, it's interesting to think about, um, and it, I, there are a million stories in entertainment where somebody turned down something that became the, the biggest thing ever, but it's just, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, they had, Disney could have made this film, and actually it was one of the things that they turned down that Bluth took with him, um, and was like, I, I can do this. Yeah. So, um... When when we talked about how you you forgot a lot about this film and I did too, um, did you like, did you forget about the intelligent rats part? Because I kind of did. 
So I I thought because we were already working under the premise of these animals can talk, they can communicate, they can build houses, they can they're um already built in the same construct as we are as human beings. I just I didn't know that that was going to be a piece of it. And there was part of me that was like, well, what makes the rats superior to the mice if they already had this capability of talking and having, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a very specific life, um, meaning that they they have beds, they have um, tables and electricity and things like that. Although electricity, I, I believe, does... Uh, is more of a, a, a plot point involving the rats. Uh, yeah, because they have it, um, like uh, Mrs. Brisby does not, and her, you know, her naggy neighbor, Mrs. Shrew, does not. Um, but when he goes, when she goes to m- visit Mr. Ages, he's inside the um, the tractor. So you could tell that he was from a place of technology, but that I explain, you, you find out why later. Uh, but yeah, like the, there was a bit at the beginning where the humans in the farmhouse were like talking and they're like, and they mentioned that like Nim had called them again about the rats. And you see a silhouette of a bunch of rats running with like a power line, like, like, like an electrical cord along the house and down to the rose bush. I thought that was funny, but I'm like, Oh, something else has gone on here. And then you see the rose bush, like light up like a disco, like a little bit. And I'm like, those rats know how to party. There's something going on. I forgot completely all about that. Those rats know how to party. I think that's what we should call this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so I'd forgotten, like I, I knew, I knew that magic was part of it because I, the image I had in my head of this film as a kid, I just forgot like how this film is like equal parts high, like hard sci-fi and then equal parts like, like fantasy and none of it, like once they kind of put the pieces down, none of it feels out of place. And, and it's a weird world to be in for an animated kids film that you don't immediately dismiss everything being brought to you. I do wonder about that because that was my only bone of contention was the amulet that um, Mrs. Brisby has or is given. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't find how it fit into the rest of the world. But again, this may be me viewing it as a 45 year old man (laughs) and not a, you know, six year old kid. Um, I kept thinking to myself. They went to this length to explain to us why the rats of Nim are smart, yet there's also magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, I, I, it, it yeah. wasn't like a deal killer for me. I don't mean to make it sound like I was like, oh, turn this garbage off. But I was just I was trying to reconcile it in my head. I'm like, well, it's interesting that they went to the length to explain why the rats are this way. But then they they're also explained, well, there's also magic. <laughs> so uh, that felt a little out of place for me, but. Again, that may just be me viewing it the way that I did. I just kind of took it because, like, from the very beginning, you had, you had Nicodemus like writing down like in his book, and like the 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 pages were illuminated, and he's like talking all you know mysterious, and he's looking into a portal and all this stuff, and it's like like he's a rat wizard, like you you he's just a wizard. And I just kind of take it because he says something about how all of them, like because of the process from Nim, they all like don't age like the rest of the animals do. And they have this ability. And they, and at one point when they're talking about their plan to move to Thorn Valley, he's like, we can no longer live like rats. We need to, you know, we're more than that. It's like, 
I'm just thinking that this process of whatever intelligence brought them, like he was just the one that just the elevator kept going up. So he was like, you know what? You guys are all smart. I'm a wizard. Like, I just feel like that's what happened to him. And I was kind of okay with it because no one else was rocking like a cloak and calling staffs to themselves. Like it was just a weird, like if they were to do like a doctor strange as, as a rat, that would be Nicodemus. I would kind of be okay with that. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking myself how Marvel built their world, at least cinematically, was they started by introducing, you know, Iron Man, who's very technological. And then they get to Thor and it's like, well, it's magic, but basically we're just going to say that it's science. And, you know, magic is just science you don't understand. And now we're at a point where it's like, everything's magic. But, like, (laughs) it's interesting to think of it in that ter- those terms, you know, they couldn't obviously world build in that way. Um, and I, I did read that that was an addition to the story, the amulet uh, that's not in the books, uh, something that Bluth uh, had felt was important. Um, and there's actually a quote from him. He says, uh, the amulet was a device or symbol to represent the internal power of Mrs. Brisby. In many ways, it was an extension of Mrs. Brisby, a visual extension of an internal and a harder way to show in film power. So I understand why the decision was made, but it was one of those things that I was like, Oh, well it's interesting that, you know, there's this magical part of the film and it's also incorporated into this scientific background. And I will say too, as somebody who's an animal lover, even seeing, you know, animals that are animated being, you know, essentially lab rats, uh, pulled at my heartstrings well and yeah like seeing them getting like jabbed with like full of drugs and everything and the bit with like the heartbeat like that was ugh, that just was unnerving uh for you know kids film um but, but like think about how they also kind of like snuck in like the things were a little weird like the the cat that lived at the house was named dragon so you already have like some of this stuff kind of put out in front of you and then when she gets into like whatever miss brisby goes into the rose bush you when you find the rest of like the intelligent rats um oh what's the one he used like the um oh like the the the, the king's guard what's his name the one that um shoot it's that's it, not jeremy because jeremy justin justin is the voice of the one the one rat who's like the, like the i don't know the one that you, you kind of get the feeling he's kind of hitting on mrs brisby a little bit that's my thought but like when they, <laughs> he, he seems a little bit of like a playboy to me. That's just me, me being too much into the lives of rats, intelligent rats. Um, the, the sword fighting and like all the other elements they bring into this. It's like they, they, they keep kind of bringing in some of these like notions of like fantasy. And it's just, it all kind of, it all kind of works together. Like, you know, you have like it. I'm glad they didn't do the thing. It would have been a funny gag, but almost like the Ant-Man thing where you see like all this turmoil, like this big sword fight. And it just cuts back to like the, like the, the dad sitting on the front porch, smoking a pipe. And you just, you just hear little tiny swords in the distance, you know, like striking each other. Um, I'm glad they didn't do that, but I just, there, there is just, um, this world, this world it built is so weird and different that I, I fell in love with it. And I wasn't normally you're right. When you have these kind of things where this juxtaposition of you're already telling me this one story and now you're going to stack science fiction on it. And now you're going to stack magic. I'm usually out the door, but for whatever reason, 
I didn't have I didn't feel uncomfortable with this any at any point in the film, and that says a lot for me watching an animated film geared towards children in the early '80s. You know, also being you know in my 40s now, like something about it just worked for me. And you know, credit to that film because th- this film was not a it was a financial success in the sense that it cost seven million to make, it made fourteen million, but it was not it didn't it wasn't advertised that well, and then also Disney got kind of pissed that it existed and like there was theaters that were showing Tron and they're going to put it together as a double bill. And Disney's like, you don't get Tron if you're going to show secret of Nim, which, you know, I don't know what Disney was trying to prove there because Tron didn't do so well either. But, um, when I think of its financial success, that must mean there must be something wrong with the film. And then in this case, that's not, that that's not it at all. Like this is not just, I don't think this is nostalgia there. Like, but this is not a film talked about often. There are plenty of films that I can think of that just didn't do well financially that are gems, uh, whether it be because their budgets were too high and they just didn't make them back. Like, and again, this I'm going off topic of animation, but I always think of the film Gattaca. Gattaca is a gorgeous movie that I don't think did anything at the theaters, um, and it's really smart and it's so well done. Um, so uh, there are lots of different films that I can think of. That's just the first one that popped into my head. And somebody's going to write in and be like, Gattaca was a huge success and made billions of dollars. And I'll be like, <laughs> it, it, I it, apparently it, no. came to it late then. No, it did not. Um, You're right. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is interesting to think about the films that it was, you know, showing with when it came out. Um, you know, the, the, the films that it was performing higher than in the theaters, according to at least Wikipedia, was Poltergeist. Rocky three Firefox and star Trek Two: the wrath of Khan. Like that's pretty impressive because yeah. you know, three of those films I can say I personally consider to be classics. I, I don't know the last time I saw Firefox, it may have been in the eighties, but it's not one of those ones that's, you know, in the back of my head is being like, it's one of Clint Eastwood's best films, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, poltergeist Rocky three and wrath of Khan. Those are, high watermark films for the early eighties and to know that it competed with those and did well to something about it in and of itself. Yeah. And I just, so I feel like the characterizations too of like, so as much as I feel like Jeremy, Jeremy's just kind of there as like comic relief, but at the same time, I think there was that, that through line of like, you know, like, you know, you figure out, like have confidence in yourself and you know, the rest will follow a little bit, but the the journey of Mrs. Brisby um, was was good. I liked in the sense that like Don Don Blue said that um, the reason he also wanted the amulet there was because he wanted her to save her family and not the rats. Because if she didn't do it and believe in herself, then she didn't complete a journey. And that's like why why is this thing that's so obvious seems to be forgotten. Like as we go along with just films in general, where it's like you introduce the main character, you got to let them do the thing. Cause if not, then what's the point of them being there? Like it's just like, think about when this film came out and the story of empowerment of like, you know, a single mother, like trying to save her family and she's the one to do it. Like they could have easily just like washed that all away and had the super rats like save the day. And I think it was a smart move. And I think this movie's aged well because of that. I like it. Super rats. Let's get working on that. Uh, no, I'm just It's kidding. a sequel to Baby Geniuses. I don't know. Like, yeah. 
No, that's that's actually a very good point that you bring up. Uh, it gives her character, obviously, agency. It gives her... I mean, she's the driving force behind the film. And actually, um, I, I'll give them props as well for building up to what the hell was her husband doing? And you finally find out like how her husband died, but there's sort of a mystery about it. And uh, when you find out how he died... Uh, you're like, oh, God, that's horrible. And the fact that she didn't even know that he died, which also makes me wonder like how she knows he's dead. But um, <laughs> he could have went out for a pack of smokes. You don't know. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna do the Rose uh, Rosebush disco party. I'll be right back. Like, what? No. <laughs> but, you know, he, he died trying to aid the rats and by drugging the... Uh, the cat dragon, which we also see her having to do later. Yeah. And even the bit too, when she gets captured and put into like the bird cage, just the way that they made her be the one to get out of it was very like good. And also tense seeing her try to jam herself under the, the water dish to get out was also just very like uh, just nerve wracking. Right. Cause it's like, not only is it because she's trying to save her kids, she has to get the message out that, that Nim is coming, but it's also like you talk about like feeling bad about animals. Like if you saw like a mouse trying to do that the entire time, wouldn't you just like, wouldn't your heart just break into like, you would just want to be like, I want to help you mouse. You know, I know you don't want to be in this birdcage. I have to help you. Like it, it just, it was it, really interesting. Like I wasn't expecting that to be, how they did that. I agree. I, I also think that, uh, uh, going back to what you were saying about like the physics of the way they portrayed a lot of the animation, you feel like as she's working it out, how to get out of that, uh, that cage by using the water dish, you can feel the real life implications of, of uh, trying to move that of her trying to squeeze underneath it her trying to grasp breath as she's trying to get out from underneath of it and her working her way around solving that problem to get out of it. I, that stuff is storytelling that is both visual and interesting, but at the same time feels very, I don't want to say real life because obviously it's a, you know, talking mouse trying to escape <laughs> a, a mouse cage, but it, it, it has enough heft to it that it gives weight to the animation in the story that it's trying to tell. Yeah. And so we like, um, I also was expecting like, so the, the rats go agree to help her because, you know, um, her husband was with them. He was, you know, one of the, the, the Nim rats and they agree to help move her house, uh, the cement block and they're doing it. And like tragedy strikes because of uh, Jenner, which the first time I heard his name, I thought it was cheddar. I'm like, why would I was like, I guess you would name a rat cheddar. That's fine. And I was like, but that's a really weird name to name a bad guy cheddar. But that's like, he's a rat. Well, you also go to call him. But anyway, um, so with Jenner trying to turn traitor on Nicodemus and causing everything to happen, that whole thing plays out. And then they add like the additional sucker punch of like, Oh, by the way, this uh, concrete block with your family in it is now sinking into the mud. Like, Oh my goodness. I was like, is this really like, I, you know, again, forgot how the movie actually ended, but I'm like, Holy crap. Like they're going to, they're going to stop this, right? This is, they're going to stop this thing from sinking. Right? Nope. Like it is. I just, wow. This is like the, this is like the old yeller moment of like, just take the dog out back and just shoot it. We're done now. Like it was just devastating. 
I will say that I expected to find out that Timmy died. He's <laughs> dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he he's not even the other three mice as the uh, the other three children as the block is sinking into the mud. It's not even water; it's mud. So it's even you know harder to probably move and try and pull yourself out of and grab you know breath. Uh, I was like, wow, I'm like, Timmy must be dead. He's stuck in bed, right? Like, uh, and obviously it's a children's film, so they weren't going to go that dark. But I will say that I, I did feel that impending peril, which, again, good on them for being able to fool me. Or I'm like, maybe the kids don't make it out of this, you know? Because <laughs> uh, we, we've all seen movies and stories and, and, and like, oh, yeah, that person's clearly going to make it out of out of this because their main character or whatever. But I was like, wow, they're going to kill off her family. That's, that's impressive. So yeah, I think, I think that weight being there was, uh, important to the story. And again, um, it gives Miss Brisby something to act upon to save her family. Yeah. It's just like when they pull her off the top of the, the block, and like they're trying to get her away just the the way that they animated her desperation and like they though they knew they couldn't help the family initially they knew they could save her and she didn't care she wanted to get her kids and it was like that there's this desperation in that animation that's like wow like it was it just yeah i was uh taken aback by it like uh yeah this this is it's a it's just a really effective film, and by the time you get to like magic happenings, you want to see all the good stuff happen because it's like you don't want to see the kids die. You want to see Mrs. Brisby actually, you know, like unlock the power of the stone, and like it's you know, it, it's it's that it is that eighties movie magic there that it is just this wondrous thing. For again, if you would cut to the, like the 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 like the farmer sitting on the front step, he would have just saw like a red a flash of light and a um, cement block float for a second, and that was all he would have seen in the distance, you know. But being like right there with all of them, it's expansive and amazing, and it was it was a wonderful finale. On the same token, it goes back to just the love and care that they put into animating the film, uh, because as it's sinking, you feel that terror. You feel like, Oh, they're not going to make it out of this. This is awful. Um, and I also wanted to go back to you, uh, when we're in the lab and we see the animals escape after they've been made smarter by whatever they're being tested with. Uh, wi- wizard they, juice, wizard juice. That's what, that's what it is. Wizard juice. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to think of it as a uh, snake juice from, uh, Parks, Parks and Rec. Rec. Yeah. It's, it's whatever it's, it was the early <laughs> forms of whatever they did to make vape juice. Is what, <laughs> no, <laughs> But um, the mice that are in that lab don't survive, and they're sort of sucked down an air vent, and that animation has weight to it. And you're like, oh god, because you don't <laughs> yeah. know what happened to them. And he's like, and the mice did not survive. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, we didn't have to see. Oh, we're gonna see it. Like, <laughs> yeah, just it was, yeah. Um, just I don't know what else to say about this film. I. Uh, I, I went in with the hopes of like seeing something like, you know, like we were talking about, like the, this time in Disney and the, even in the 80s in Disney, I know they kind of had like, you know, they started coming back into their own. Um, some of the stuff I don't think will resonate with me just because I don't know, just I, it, it had its opportunity and, and maybe it won't now. Right. But 
with this one, I wasn't sure how to feel about it because it's a film that I've known. I believe I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about it, but I just wanted to, I wanted to go in and hoping for the best. And I've come out like even like, um, better than I was hoping for, which for us on invasion and some of the stuff we picked to watch, that is, that is a very unlikely outcome sometimes for the things that we pick to do. Right. So, yeah. I, I had hoped to be pleasantly surprised with this. And I, I was the reaction that I got out of this was what I was hoping to get out of wizards. Um, and I hate to put it that way. Um, but even when it comes to comparing the violence, um, one of the things that I did thought was interesting was, is that there were, a few instances where they animated blood, but mm-hmm. it didn't go away. Like it was, you know, uh, a part of, you know, the fight that happens at the end between, uh, is it, uh, I, I want to say it's Jeremy, but it's Justin. It's Justin and, and Jenner, not Cheddar. And Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> um, having their fight. Mrs. Brisby, I believe also cuts herself at one point, uh, which is very rare, you know, and it's interesting to think about, one of the things that I, I've always found troublesome, and again, this seems weird coming from the horror guy, but, um, and I do not dub myself my the horror guy, but uh, that's just <laughs> how I've been labeled. But uh, trademark, trademark coming, you know, like yeah. hi, I'm Steve, <laughs> the horror guy. Ding, you know. Uh, I always find the Disney films problematic, where it's like, well we got to kill somebody in the first 20 minutes in order to kick the story off. So whether it be Bambi or, you know, the lion King, um, I believe somebody dies in Dumbo. Um, that aspect of it always just never sat quite well with me. And the fact that I feel like they, they also shy away from, you know, showing an actual conflict or blood Yet they do it here and it works so well. Um, I mean, you, you see like part of the crushed remains of Nicodemus under like the cinder block. Like, yeah. you're, like you're like, crap. <laughs> like, all right. I guess, I guess that he's not coming back. I guess he's, he's out. So for somebody who constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, but I always wonder about like, was that, you know, that intrinsic to the story since, you know, the rest of, and I guess that comes down to it. It's tone. Bambi's mother being killed is one of the most horrific things you can see as a kid. Yet the rest of the film, you know, everything's, you know, you've got Thumper and Flower and everybody's happy. And, you know, it, it, it's this conflicting tone where I don't feel like I get that in this. I feel like that tone pers- perseveres throughout the film. Perseveres isn't the correct word, but it, it persists. It, yeah this throughout the film and I don't feel like it's a tonal shift when they do reveal those things. And I think it actually works better dramatically. Yeah. I mean, cause you do definitely get the comedy beats with, with uh, Jeremy, but even then that some of that does move the story on, like, cause if you, you see the threat of dragon and then you have, um, you know, there's some, some talk back and forth between him and Ms. Brisby and he's actually helpful at times. So like there's an, and there's the bit too, where he's like, hiding underwater with a lily pad and a straw because, you know, like he said, someone's chasing him. I think it's, uh, I think he was annoyed by uh, the kids. If I remember right, he was just hiding from them. If I recall, but yeah, it doesn't feel like it goes so far out of whack that you're still not watching the same film, which I also feel like is probably an easy thing to lose track of when you're doing like a family feature is trying to, you know, I don't know. The tone of this is, is pretty, it's pretty consistent 
you know, and I don't, it's hard for me. Um, it, it's, it's much easier if there's something that you have problems with to go in and kind of pull the threads apart on it with this. I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, it, if there's, if there's only one thing is that I wish it could have just been a little bit longer to let some of the world breathe a little bit more, but you know, it didn't overstay its welcome. It answered all the questions that you need answered. And it gave you a satisfaction to the the most of the characters, and that I just you know was not expecting that. And it's 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 a wonderful film that I'm going to revisit again. I agree as well, and uh, this may be something for a future episode of the Year of Animation. But I I did not realize that Bluth was also a part of Titan AE. Yeah, which is a film that I wanted to see, and then I heard like bad things about it, and I never watched it. And I, I'm wondering now if it's. I, I would like to to visit it after watching Secret Secret of Nim, and I think of, um, and again, this is not comparison, but uh, I stayed away from uh, the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter film starring Sam Sam Neill. For a very long time, because I'd once been heard people say, oh, it's not very good. And then when I finally watched it about three years ago, I'm like, this movie's a masterpiece. And I I really hate that I stayed away from it as long as I did. So whether we talk about Titan ADE in the future or not, I'm definitely going to investigate that film just simply based on the strength of this. Yeah, I think it's a good call. Like, I have not seen that either. Um, you're right, because it had this weird, I don't know, like, it just... There's just movies that, for whatever reason, that come out, and it's like you just all you ever heard was like negative. But but it's like, but I don't know if anybody actually saw the movie, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, I would yeah, I'd be down for watching that too. So, um, yeah, I don't know where else to go with this other than like, do you have any any other thoughts or, or things that we didn't cover uh, about Secret of Them? Because I mean, there's a deep dive with like the books and the characters and everything that you know. I, like I said, I'm not I wasn't qualified to get into, but I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to cover. No, I mean, it, it goes back to the fact that, uh, like I was saying, I don't always feel like I have a comfortable vocabulary when it comes to speaking about animation. Uh, I certainly do when it comes to comics and other things that we've talked about. But animation, I don't know that I, I feel that I have all the terminology that I, I want to use to discuss the film uh, or films. Yeah. But with this, I, I have to say... You know, my Letterbox review, and I keep going back to like how I just joined Letterbox, and if I review a film, I literally will only use one sentence to, to review it. And honestly, I think it's one of the most beautiful animated films I've ever seen. Like, it's gorgeous. And that's why I want to seek out the Blu ray, because I'm, I'm sure that the version that was on Tubi is probably not as cleaned up or as, you know, uh, well attended to. As a as a nice fine print of that film probably would be. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to get like a nice a nice copy of that and get the sound up and everything because like we didn't even talk about like uh, the the whole bit involving the farmer's tractor about how they were trying to like to stop it, you know, and how like that was a whole set piece that just it just the way it looked and the way it moved was like just scary and amazing, and yeah, like all just. This is another film too. You could probably just turn turn off the sound, just leave it on the background, and it would still still play really well. It's it's really pretty, and you're right. I don't have the vocabulary to get into animation, which is weird that we're getting into the year of animation. But this is like it's almost like um, it's like going to an art museum 
And even if you don't have the foundational knowledge to say, I recognize this artist as such because of such style and because of such technique, you can still go up something and be like, this, this is beautiful and I love it. And here's why I love it. Um, but it may not line up with like how history like views why it should be loved. So I feel like these movies were going to go forward. Like we may not be able to talk about specific process, but like it clearly this was made for an end product to stir an emotion and have an attachment to the characters. And it's very successful. And I, you know, I'm glad that we took time to watch it. I a hundred percent agree. And, uh, my wife right before we started, she's like, you're going to hate this movie. She knows that like, I don't have the soft spot for the seventies Disney stuff that she does. So I think that's what she was thinking of. And I was just completely taken in by all the detail and the, the gorgeous backgrounds and level detail given to the characters. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, I, we don't really have like parting, parting questions. Like, do we like this better than wizards? I just, that's, I don't think we need pretty to pretty sure that. that's an easy yes for both of us. Um, yeah. I w- would we recommend this wholeheartedly? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's worse ways to spend like 80 minutes of your time. Like go, go seek this film out. It is delightful. And if, and if you have, you know, young kids, th- this, this is, I think like a good level of, of scary in the sense of like the owl is creepy, but, and there's the constant threat of if he's hungry and it's nighttime, he might eat Miss Brisby, you know? And like, but at the same time, it's almost like, you know, well, the sun's setting, I got to go, you know, like there, that's scary. Um, like the, like the, the, the tractor stuff scary. And then at the end, like that, like, I think, I think fear and being scared are not things to be afraid of no pun intended. And I think this is the, these are good stepping stone things. If you want to engage younger people and things that, you know, there's good, there's good to talk about, but they can still kind of get that little bit of adrenaline, adrenaline rush of something being, being creepy and scary. I think uh, film is a safe outlet to explore fear. Uh, and that goes into adulthood as well. And I think uh, giving a, rousing adventure story that is tinted with some darker elements is a good way to introduce your kids to those concepts. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for our discussion about secret and M. Uh, if you guys have seen the film, please let us know what your thoughts are on our Facebook page. Uh, it's an invasion of the podcast. Uh, we have a blog and it's invasion of podcast.com. Um, you know, just something will show up there eventually. I, you know, I'll, I'll figure out something. It's been, it's been a little while. I'll find I, it. It'd be hard for me to be like, I'm going to write about an animated movie. Maybe I'll try one. I just, we'll see. Um, I have no idea. Uh, you guys can find us on, uh, Apple podcasts, Google music, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you find your podcast, you could rate and review us to be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday night slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And if you want to buy a physical copy of issue one of the Saturday Night Slasher or our other comic, Beyond Sunset, just head to Etsy and look up The Art of the Slash. That's the name of our store. And we have lots of different, uh, uh, not only comics, but we have some stickers, some prints, cool stuff available. Go check it out. Yeah. So next week, um, we're going to be uh, going, going back to another film because it's just what we do here. But 
so the explanation is uh, around this time last year it was actually in January last year, so um, a little a little past a year ago. Uh, Steve and I we watched um, the The Shining to kind of like revisit something that we we had, um, you know, maybe not the the warmest of feelings towards, and you know, something that a lot of people have loved. We watched it, we talked about it. It was a great conversation. Um, I suggested to Steve for next week that we should sit down and watch uh, the the new film from Mike Flanagan. Is that the director's name? I think it's Flanagan. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, uh, Doctor Sleep, which is a a sequel in a lot of ways to The Shining, and I guess the film was more of a literal sequel uh, to The Shining than the book was. Uh, so, um, I, which I've read the book; it's a Stephen King book, and uh, people this didn't do the greatest in theaters, but everybody I know that has seen it has liked it a great deal. So our challenge is to watch this. Steve has not read the book, Dr. Sleep. Um, I have, and we're going to watch the director's cut, which is like three hours long, which is like, you know, two and a half times the length of secret in them. Uh, and we're going to see how we feel about the, the movie overall. If we, you know, and kind of see where we land about it being a sequel to the shining and then just kind of, kind of go from there. So I figured it would just be kind of a nice to, to see someone who loves the source material so much of the shining, the film, the shining, the book and Dr. Sleep, the book, how he was able to try to walk this line between the three to make a film that, you know, may stand on its own. I don't know. We're going to watch Dr. Sleep and talk about it. So if you guys have already seen it, cool. If not, check it out and you can, you know, listen to our thoughts. And that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to talking about it next week. All right. So, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, have a good week. Um, be safe. Uh, if you see rats stealing electricity from your house, uh, you know, you might want to get rid of them, but you might also just want to hang out with them because they might be pretty cool. 